Well, you might like to have your Bible open at the passage that we read just a moment or so ago from John chapter 3. For many people, and I need to be careful what I say, I don't want to identify uh, one of the sexes against one of the others, but for many people, love stories have always been page-turners, haven't they? In one of William Shakespeare's most celebrated works, his tale of star-crossed lovers, Romeo and Juliet, that focuses on the tragedies that accompany the loss of true love. Lovers, Romeo Montague and Juliet Capulet, two of the most famed clans in literature, came from the opposite sides of the Verona tracks. And their family's disapproval of their relationship with each other eventually, as we know, led to their deaths. Jane Austen's novels have always been popular because they focus on a similar subject. We read of the Bennets in Sense and Sensibility, the Dashwood sisters in Pride and Prejudice and their alternating experiences of heartache and romance with, thankfully, most of the participants living happily ever after. My wife likes those stories that particularly end in that way. And so we could go on, even to the extent of uh, Bollywood, which, although I don't understand any of it, uh, I think follows a similar theme. Not only fiction writers, but of course popular songs and even TV soaps major on the theme of love or its absence. But without question, on this particular day, we are celebrating the greatest love story ever told. And it isn't fiction, not this one. This is fact. It can't be summed up, surely more concisely, than in one of the best-known and most loved verses in the entire Bible. And we have that open before us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. Just three things, very briefly, uh, that I want you to notice. First of all, this verse speaks of a divine affection. A divine affection. God so loved the world. Or, if you like, God loved the world so much. Now, you may know that it's been rightly said of the Greeks that the Greeks have a word for it. And that phrase has truth in it because uh, it's a very colorful and descriptive language even today. When it comes to the word love as is translated in our New Testament, actually the Greeks had five words. And the word least used by the Greeks is the word most used in the Bible, and it refers to God's love for us. And the peculiarity, if you like, the uniqueness of that particular word is that it is a love that doesn't at least initially require reciprocation from the other party to motivate it. If you like, it's initially a one-sided love. Because there was nothing in us which demanded God's love. Human nature is not an attractive proposition. And the scope of that word is the world. God loved the world. That's a reference, obviously, to people, not to things. 
And it's significant that as we read through the Bible, we read, of course, that God is good to every part of his creation. But his love is only expressed towards human beings. And the first surprise is that God should love a world that has no desire to love him and certainly has not earned his love in any way. And you might rightly ask, why would he bother? I found in my experience that there are not many people who declare themselves atheists and can back that up with some evidence. They need to because uh, I'm a theist. I believe that there is a God. They are atheists, Miss means they believe there is no God. Well, if you believe something, you've got to base that on something. So you don't find many true atheists. But what you do find are people that I've often referred to as practical atheists. That is, they might profess with their lips that they believe there is a God. But their lives deny that very fact. They live as if they didn't believe that there was a God. God is ignored. God doesn't feature in their lives as far as they're concerned. God may as well not exist. And so if that is the world's attitude to God, then we could hardly complain if he left us to our own devices, which would be the very worst thing that could happen. In those stories that I referred to, Inevitably, human lovers are often spurned. I have to make a confession. My wife and I love many of the Hallmark films that are made. Uh, we tend to watch them when, when we're in America because there isn't a lot on TV in America worth watching. Uh, but they're actually being shown now on TV on Christmas 24 and all of those sort of things. And uh, initially, the thing starts out okay, but you know... But within this two-hour period, there's going to be a real breakdown of some kind or another. And then, in the last ten minutes, everything's going to be resolved. We know how it's going to work out, but nevertheless, we watch those films. Human lovers have often been spurned, not to the extent that the divine lover has, because he has given to the world his most precious possession his one and only son. And frankly, the world couldn't care less. But the gift of God's only son is what we're remembering today. It pictures the immensity of God's love. This was the time when God put into words and action what he had felt for men and women from the beginning of time. This verse speaks of a divine affection. God so loved the world. Secondly, this verse speaks of a divine action. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's stating the obvious to say that it's always important that we express in practical ways our love for other human beings. You can tell a person that you love them, but if your actions deny that, then it denies what you're saying. So love has to be put into action to see 
that it is real. And God's deep love for the world prompts him to act, and in what a way? The one and only, as translated in our NAV, is, of course, in the King James Version, the only begotten. It expresses the uniqueness of this person. He is the Son from all eternity. Jesus did not become the Son of God when he was born in Bethlehem. He is the Son of God from eternity past. Just after I had started in the ministry, there was a terrible tragedy in Bristol. It was a day of high winds, and a school class uh, who operated normally in a porter cabin in the school playground uh, were moved to the main building because of the high winds and because of the danger. Tragically, as they were moving across the playground, the roof came off, and a little boy was killed. And the parents were kind of loosely attached to our church. And I called to see them after they'd asked if I would conduct the funeral service. And here we are, getting on for 50 years later, and I'll never forget what they said to me. You see, they said, he was our only son. He was our only son. Now, all of our children, if we have them, are precious to us. Uh, We were talking about that in fun at lunchtime today when we had some of our family around us. We were making fun of one, but we suggested, no, you're all loved equally, uh, whatever they're like. But there's something very special, isn't there, about an only son or an only daughter. That little boy was taken in tragic circumstances. But this verse tells us that God voluntarily gave his son. And it was a plan in which Jesus, the son, was in full agreement. The apostle Paul wrote later, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a public demonstration of the triune God's love for sinful men and women. Jesus came and Jesus died because God loves us. Not as some people imagine, in order to make God love us. That's what some people think. The fact that the Lord Jesus came and he died on the cross, therefore, because of that, God loves us. That's not what the scripture teaches. One of my favorite stories, and of course it's true, is the story of Helen Keller. Born in the 1800s, perfectly normal as she was born. It wasn't for a number of months that she had um, what they used to call in those days brain fever. It was possibly scarlet fever or meningitis. But after she had somewhat recovered, her parents discovered that uh, she was now blind. And as well as being blind, she was now deaf. And uh, as she grew up as a little girl, her parents were distraught. They couldn't control her. We can't even begin to imagine the frustration that this little girl in her dark and silent world would have felt. And then they heard of some work that was being done for children just like little Helen. 
and actually through a connection with Alexander Bell, the inventor of the telephone, they came into contact with Anne Sullivan, who came to live with them and spent all of her time with little Helen and eventually communicated with Helen. I think firstly by spelling out the word doll, D-O-L-L, on her hand. And then I think the second word was the word water as she put her hand under a faucet and she felt the water on her hand and Anne spelt out water. And within a very short time, Helen had learned 30 words. And because of that relationship with Anne Sullivan, she grew up to learn four languages. She went to Harvard, one of the top universities in America. And sometimes, as I give that as a children's talk, you have to ask questions. Imagine the feelings of the parents that they had a little girl that they loved, but she was blind to their love. She was deaf to their love. And incidentally, because of that, she didn't initially learn to speak either. And so what did they do? They engaged this nurse, and this nurse communicated with little Helen. And eventually, Helen realized there was someone who loved her. And why was it that the parents wanted to show Helen that they loved her? Surely, because they wanted Helen to love them in return. Isn't that a parable of what God has done, but in a far greater way? The world is blind to God. The world is deaf to God. But in these last days, says the writer to the Hebrews, God has spoken to us by his Son. And God has shown us how much he loves us. Why? Well, surely in order that we might come to love him in return. This verse speaks of a divine affection. It speaks of a divine action. And then lastly, it speaks of a divine arrangement. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. The simplicity of the Christian message is magnificent. I've no doubt that there are those here uh, this evening who became Christians. That is, they believed in the Lord Jesus when they were children. My wife became a Christian when she was eight. She has no doubt about that whatsoever. There was a lot she didn't know. There was a lot she had to learn. But she put a simple trust. She believed in the Lord Jesus at the age of eight. And yet, you know that these words were addressed to a Jewish religious teacher, a professional theological student who didn't even have an elementary knowledge of God's love for him in Jesus Christ. His name, of course, was Nicodemus, and he was a Pharisee for whom religion was almost exclusively external. You gained favor with God because of your works, the life that you lived, the laws you endeavored to keep. That has a parallel with a lot of people today, doesn't it? That's what they think Christianity is. It has to involve what you do. It 
Salvation, if you like, is an act of man, not a gift from God. And so Jesus uses a picture that Nicodemus would have been familiar with. We read about it. He reminds him of the occasion when God's people were being judged by God because of their sin. And God sent poisonous snakes that bit the people and the people died. But then God provided a way of escape. A way for the people to be saved. And he instructed his leader Moses to erect a brass snake. And he was to simply tell the people that if they looked at this brass snake, then they would be healed of the snake bite. They simply had to believe. Some did, I've no doubt of that. But I imagine that there were those who didn't. What a pointless exercise. Go to the center of the camp and look at this brass snake. And they died. It was all about belief, wasn't it? It wasn't that there was any magic in this brass snake. It was obeying the word of God. Obeying what God had told them to do. And then Jesus applied that Old Testament narrative for Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. That what? Everyone who believes may have eternal life. And of course Jesus there is speaking of his own lifting up to die on a Roman cross for sinners. And all that sinners are required to do in order to be forgiven is to look and to believe. Believe is the key word in God's plan. God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Elsewhere, the Bible says, God is pleased to save who? Those who believe. And so God provides this means for eternal life. What a gift. He commands the world to repent of sin and to exercise belief in the Son that he gave for their salvation. It is the greatest love story ever told. And in a moment or so, we're going to focus on that thought. Before we do that, let's sing together. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake became as poor. That ties in, doesn't it, with the reading that we began our service with. The one who was the word. The one who was with God from the beginning. Thou who was rich beyond all splendor, all for love's sake. Becamest poor. <laughs> 